Thank you. Oh, whoa, whoa. Please. Thank you. I, uh, well, I, I appreciate that beautiful introduction. I can listen to it all day, and I thought I was going to have to. I think I was, Great. Most memorable introduction I ever had, I was named Ohio Valley Man of the Year, and my high school buddy introduced me. And he said, only in America could it happen, a guy born into poverty with hard work and dedication. Rose become one of the most respected people in the country, an individual who's loved by so many. He said, I could go on and on about me, but I'm here to talk about Lou Holtz, so after that, anything is downhill. I, so I tell you what. Speaking of this group, I, uh, Ecclesiastes, you have no idea what you're in for because that is difficult. And over 38 times they mentioned the word vanity in Ecclesiastes. And vanity in those days or the interpretation was poof, it's gone. It's like on a cold winter morning, like you now when you're talking, you see your breath and then it evaporates so quickly. And that's what life is all about. We're here and we're gone. And we have to ask why. You know, 10% of you won't remember 10% of what is said 10 minutes after said it. For the next few minutes, I want to share thoughts and ideas. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to lecture. I'm not going to talk about something I read about or heard about. I'm going to talk about things I believe. The stories I share with you are absolutely true. I'm going to speak basically from my heart. And there are a lot of things in this world I don't understand. I don't understand how a black cow eats green grass, produces white milk, and yellow cheese. <laughs> I don't understand why do they sell hot dogs in packages of eight and hot dog buns in packages of six. It makes no sense. I don't understand why a kamikaze pilot wore a helmet. <laughs> I don't understand why people tell other people about their problems. 90% don't care, and the other 10% are glad you got your problems, so you better laugh. But I really don't understand why somebody cannot believe in Jesus Christ. That's what I don't understand. You know, when you look at it, I, I've had back surgery, and I, you look at the body, you look at the mind, you look at the blood, you look at the reproductive system, etc. You know, you look all around and you say, how could that possibly happen by chance? And the 11 apostles, 11 of the 12 apostles died as martyrs. You know, it's having a strong faith. See, faith does not eliminate problems. Faith in God doesn't eliminate problems. You're going to have problems. June 22nd, 2015, 2.30 in the morning, I'm awakened by the smoke alarm. Our house is on fire. I wakened my wife, and I'm not sure she would have wakened me, but I'm on record. <laughs> and we get out of the house with just our bathrobe. And a month before, we're driving into our driveway, and I said to my wife, did you ever believe when you're in East Liverpool, Ohio, that you live in a home that's beautiful? My wife's very religious. She said, this home doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. She said, everything we have belongs to God, and she believes that. So months later, the house burning down, I said, God, you ought to do something about your house. You know, <laughs> not mine. 
They're burnt to the ground. There we are. Eight o'clock Sunday morning, nothing but smolting ashes. My wife's crying. And I said, Dora, you have 24 hours to cry, to wallow in self-pity, to feel sorry for yourself because we lost everything. I said, come 8 o'clock Monday morning, 24 hours. We're never going to look back. We're going to put a faith in God, and we're going to move forward. The good Lord put eyes in front of our head rather than back so we can see where we're going rather than where we've been. I gave my wife an unlimited budget to rebuild the house, and she exceeded it. <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's like so many things. And God really and truly does answer prayers. You know, growing up, I always prayed to be a great athlete. Oh, I wanted to be such a great athlete. I'm not a very good athlete. Matter of fact, I used to belong to Bay Hill and would play in the men's group. And one day I was paired with Arnold Palmer. He was so nice and so gracious. I was so nervous, so scared. They played so poorly. We lost money. We're in the locker room after. And I said, gee, Arnie, I'm sorry I never played that bad before. He said, oh, you played before, have you? <laughs> but, But I always wanted to be a great athlete, and I prayed for it all the time. And yet, what did he do? He put me in coaching. And for 40-some years, I could be involved in great athletic contests, etc. And more importantly, have the opportunity to influence young people. See, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to have problems, but he enables you to handle problems. It's like everybody else. We all have that foxhole religion. I can't begin to tell you how many times I prayed when Mishka was on our three-yard line. <laughs> oh, God, you stop about change my life. <laughs> it's like the guy had a real important meeting, and he couldn't find a parking place. And finally, in desperation, he looked up and said, God, you find me a parking place, I'll go to church every Sunday, I'll give up drinking, I'll give up swearing. Just then, miraculously, a parking spot opened. He looked up at heaven and said, forget it, God, I found one on my own, you know, <laughs> that time. And it says, God, I have no doubt you separated the seas for God coming out of Israel, for the Jews coming out of Israel. I have no doubt for 40 years you fed them in the desert with manna. I have no doubt that at Canaan you took water and you turned it into wine. I believe that 100%. But God, you don't know how good Michigan is. I can't trust you with that. <laughs> See, that's our mentality. You have to put your faith and your confidence in God. The greatest sermon I ever heard was us coaching at the University of South Carolina, and we were playing Mississippi State on Thursday night. And it was the first game to be played after 9-11. Remember, 9-11, they canceled all the games. The following week, we played on Thursday night on national television. And it was a beautiful ceremony. They had the flag covering the whole field. But a Bible study, or actually the night before, and we, we make it voluntary. 99% of our football team would show up. And the individual who came with us was Adrian Dupre. And he talked to our team the night before. I'll never forget what he said. He said, on 
when those airplanes crashed in the building. He said a lot of brave men, policemen, firemen, and women went into a burning building and saved people's lives. He said, how courageous is that? He said, how good you must feel to save somebody's life. He said, but to save somebody's soul is more important. He said, you save a life, it's for years. You save a soul, it's for eternity. And before you save somebody else's soul, you've got to basically save your own soul. Say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm such a firm believer that whatever happens, happens for a reason. And the two most important days in your life, one's the day you're born. But the other most important day of your life, according to Mark Twain, is the day you discover why you're born. And basically, we're born to serve other people and to believe in Jesus Christ. Hey, gentlemen, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was born during the Depression in Fallowsby, West Virginia, in a cellar by Dr. McGraw. I was not born in a hospital because that cost money. My dad had a third-grade education. That's all he had. We lived in a cellar. We had a cellar, and it had one bedroom for my sister, myself, and my parents. We had a kitchen, and we had a half bath. The half bath did not have a tub, a shower, or a sink. There was no welfare. There was no food stamps. There was no safety net. We lived there for seven and a half years. The reason I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, I was born in this country. And I was taught by my parents. If I had a strong faith in Jesus Christ, if I made good choices, if I tried to live by moral scruples, the good things could happen and you would have a happiness in your heart. See, the reason I bore the silver spoon, not because of what we had, because we always had plenty to eat. Because every time I asked for seconds, my dad would say, no, you had plenty. So I know we always had plenty. <laughs> but in what we had, it's what I was taught. And having the faith, and that's been the foundation of my life. You know, and I've been blessed to, be married for 57 years, almost 58. And last Saturday, I went to Detroit to attend a funeral for Rick Frisano. He was my college coach. And I sit in there at the funeral, and I think there's two things you ought to do every year. You ought to make up your mind. I'm going to do two things each and every year. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a funeral once a year to realize you aren't going to be here forever. Go to funeral, you understand that we're only here for a very short period of time. The other thing you ought to do once a year is go to a wedding and listen to the vows that you recited, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. You know, you do those two things, it keeps life basically in the proper perspective. As I say, I've been married to a beautiful wife. You know, as I always joke, people say, why I just stay married for 57 years? I said, it's cheaper to keep her. That's, uh, but but on our 50th anniversary, I was playing golf. And my best friend, Drew Mantina, said, uh, I said, 50 years with my best friend. He said, your wife's not your best friend, your dog is. I said, oh, no, my wife's my best friend. He said, coach, you're wrong. He said, you do this for me. 
He said, you go home and you lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of the car, come back in two hours and see which one's happy to see you. So, <laughs> say, maybe it is a dog. When you really look at it, that perspective. So, here's a big question that I think we have to ask ourselves. Are you growing or are you dying? The tree's either growing or it's dying, and so is grass, and so is a marriage, so is a business, so is a person. Doesn't have a thing to do with age, has everything to do. Are you trying to get better as a Christian, as a husband, as a father? When I left the University of Notre Dame, I never thought I'd coach again. Where did it go from Notre Dame, according to my mother, according to my mother, you go directly to heaven, you sit by the Pope, you, you don't coach anymore. <laughs> But we went to Notre Dame, we took a program on the bottom. The last game before I got there, Miami had beaten us 58-6. to six. And That's why the Catholics versus convict game was so big to Notre Dame. And I really did not like it. That was unfair. As I said to the media, that is totally inaccurate to call that game Catholic versus convict. Because I said, if you really look at it, not all our team was Catholic. You know, we... <laughs> We took a program on the bottom. We took it to the very top. For nine straight years, we went to a January 1 bowl, the sugar, the cotton, the orange, and the fiesta. Nobody's done it before. Nobody's done it since. We took that program to the top, and we maintained it. We finished second in the country. Everybody called me an idiot. That idiot finished second in the country. Guy finishes last in medical school. They call him doctor. It doesn't seem fair. <laughs> But you get on top and you say, this is pretty good. Let's not risk anything. Let's not, let's not jeopardize it. Let's maintain. Ladies and gentlemen, when I found out, anytime you maintain any phase of your life, you're dying. Most important thing is to have goals, to have objectives, or things you want to accomplish. That's what life's all about. God did not put us on this earth to be average. He put us on this earth for a purpose, and that's to be the very best we can be in everything we do and to love other people. Say, so, ladies and gentlemen, I never felt I coached football. I felt I coached life. And to me, everything is about choices you make. You choose to do drugs, drop out of school, join a gang, get arrested. You're choosing to have difficulty in life, and please stop blaming me for the choices you make. I've never disciplined anybody in my life. I'm not a disciplinarian. People say, well, you're number one in the country playing Southern Cal. They're number two. And the morning of the game, we're both 10 and 0. I put them on the airplane and sent them home. They said, you disciplined? I, I wasn't my choice. That was their choice. You choose to violate this rule, you're choosing to have these things happen. You choose not to live your life properly when you meet the good Lord. You made bad choices. And I'll never forget when that airplane took off with our leading ground gator and our leading receiver, and we're going to go play the number two team in the country. And I thought, Lou Holtz, that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> I put them on the airplane. I should have put them on the bus. They got home in four hours. Should have taken them four days. They didn't really have a chance to think about that. <laughs> but, but all I try to do is get them to make good choices. And I want to give you three rules. You always make good choices. 
Where they're not complicated. We don't, we complicate life way too much. Do you realize there are only seven colors of the rainbow? Just seven. Look what Michelangelo did with seven colors. There's only seven musical notes. Look what Beethoven did with seven musical notes. There's only ten numbers. Look what Bernie Madoff did with ten numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's always good, but it doesn't have to be complicated. I want to give you three simple rules, and I'll guarantee you, we'll make you a better husband, a better father, a better person, and they aren't very complicated. Rule number one, do what's right. Do what's right and avoid what's wrong. If you ever have any doubt, get out the Bible. There's never a right time to do the wrong thing. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. You just say, basically, I think it's right to be honest, right to be on time. I think it's wrong to practice sexism, racism, spousal abuse. I think it's wrong to find a teammate's wallet before he lost it. It's called stealing, son. <laughs> just, just do what's right. I think it's wrong to be bitter. I go to the University of Arkansas there seven years. Seven bold bids, four top ten finishes. Best one-loss record in the history of Arkansas. Second best one-loss record in the history of the Southwest Conference, only in Dare Royal, Texas. Graduated the athletes, ran on his program, filled the stadium, and to show their appreciation, they fired me <laughs> without a word. It was so unfair. Why? Best interest of the program. I was so mad, I was so bitter. I was going to the media. I knew where all the bodies were buried. I was going to get even with Arkansas. And my wife said, no. We know what we did. You don't get ahead of anybody by trying to get even. We'll move on. And she talked me out of talking to the media. I never said a word. I just moved on. Two years later, this story was told to me by Gene Corrigan, the athletic director at Notre Dame, and hired me. He said he called Frank Burrow and said, we're... Looking at a lot of different coaches, we wonder what happened with Lou Holtz. Frank Boyle said, I listened to somebody tell me something that wasn't true. He said, Lou Holtz the best coach I've been around. He's trying to hire me back. He said, but I know he's always the one to coach at Notre Dame. If you can hire Lou Holtz, don't even talk to anybody else. You'll never regret it. I end up at Notre Dame because the guy that fired me gave me an unbelievable recommendation because my wife would not allow me to be better. I'm not saying you don't have a right to, because we've all had injustices done by society, by a spouse, by an employee, by somebody. You have reason, but you can't go through life being bitter. That when you pass away, your spouse has to hire pallbearers because you don't have six friends. <laughs> my God. And, I think the attitude we have is so critical on doing what's right. You know, when I went to the University of South Carolina, my certain things happened my first year. This is all my first year. My wife had her second major cancer surgery. They gave her 10% chance to live. I don't pray for her anymore. I pray to her. I mean, she's the same. <laughs> And my son Skip went into a coma the week we played Georgia. My mother died the Friday we played Florida. I'm on a school airplane for three days recruiting. We landed at Lady Island Airport, and the pilot said, Coach, will you visit Darnell, Washington? 
We're going to fly 11 miles to Hilton Head to get gas. We'll come back and get you. During that 11-mile flight, the school plane crashed. One pilot was killed instantly. The other seriously injured later died. We lost every football game we played that year. We went on 11. Now, I had a kicker that said, I can't kick when you're watching. <laughs> Playing, I am going to be at the games. That's part of the contract. Now, now we're on 11 that year, but records could be deceiving. We really weren't as good as our record would lead you to believe it. <laughs> Everybody's bitching and moaning. He's too old. The game passed by. You can't win. You know, everybody's complaining. I'm at an airport after that first year, the guy came up and said, anybody tell you you look like Lou Holtz? <laughs> I said, happens all the time. He said, really makes you mad, doesn't it? <laughs> You're on the bottom, everybody picks on you. Well, I went to Notre Dame, and Father Hesburgh said to me, he said, Coach, in an hour, we're going to walk into that press conference. I'm going to announce to the world you're the head coach at Notre Dame. He said, what I cannot announce to the world, you're the leader of the Notre Dame football team. He said, I can give you the title because titles come up above. He said, the players will determine if you're a leader. I said, what makes a leader? He said, you have to have a vision where you want to go, and you have to have a plan. You have to lead by example. You have to understand that adversity is part of life. You know, they can name you a father, but they can't name you the leader. Yes, and I can't begin to tell you how many times I got down on my knees and prayed for the courage and the strength that oh, I walked into a staff meeting, I walked into a team meeting, that there's no doubt in their mind that I was going to persist. I believe if you are willing, if you want to do something bad enough, you'll find a way. You want to be a better Christian, you'll find a way. You want to be a better business person? You'll find a way. You want to do something bad enough, I guarantee you will find a way. But if you don't want to do it bad enough, you'll find an excuse. And excuses are a lot easier to find than solutions. But six months later, South Carolina had the second greatest turnaround in the history of NCAA football. We went from the longest losing streak in the country to go to a bowl game on January 1, beat Ohio State. Following year, we finished 11th country and beat Ohio State again in a bowl game. The point is, you're going to get knocked down. That's part of life. That's part of adversity. But just don't think you're going to go through life without any difficulties. That's all part of it. But I don't know how you get through without a faith in God. That's why it's important to just do the right thing. The second thing is do everything to the very best of your ability. Not everybody can be All-American. Not everybody can be all conference. Not everybody can be first team. But everybody can be the best they're capable of being. Whatever it is. Just have an understanding. See, we complicate life. And I try to use common sense. I, I, I was in the lower third of my high school class. If it was not for people like me, there could have been no upper half of the class. I just <laughs> on the bottom. But the first time I used common sense was in the seventh grade. Now, this story is basically true, but I will embellish it a little bit. I had a nun named Sister Mary Harriet who disliked me with pretty good justification because I was always saying things that upset her. There was a time Catholics could not eat meat on Friday. The entire year round, they had to eat fish. I don't like fish, so 
Every Friday I complain. I wish the apostles had been ranchers rather than fishermen. <laughs> then I was asking her questions she could never answer. Why did Paul keep writing the Corinthians when they never wrote them back? You know, that makes no sense to me. If they aren't going to write back, why do you keep writing But it's just understanding. One day we had a huge test, and I finished for everybody else because most of my paper was blank. I, I didn't know many answers, and I got tired of looking at a blank paper, so I started looking around out of boredom. She thought I was trying to cheat. She yelled in front of the whole class, Lou Holt! If I even suspect you of cheating, I'm taking 10% off your grade. I get out the textbook and said, 90 sounds good to me. So just <laughs> problem says, what's a possible solution to it? I'm at the University of Arkansas. And all we have to do is beat SMU in our last game. We'd be invited to the Orange Bowl for the first time in the history of the school. Not only that, we would be playing Oklahoma. Number one in the country. The last time Arkansas played Oklahoma, Oklahoma had beaten them 108 to nothing in the 20s. We're hit by FSMU in the fourth quarter, 42-14. Fans were throwing oranges on the field. The media said, what did you think when the fans were throwing oranges on the field? I said, thank God we weren't going to the Gator Bowl. You know, just <laughs> But then I had to suspend... Three athletes had scored 78% of our touchdowns for the entire year. Now, that wasn't my choice. It was their choice. You don't treat women the right way, you aren't going to play in the game. They violated that rule. They didn't do the right thing. You aren't going to play. They take me to court to get an injunction to be able to play. The Attorney General for Arkansas represented me because I was a state employee. A guy by the name of Frank Broyle, or excuse me, a guy by the name of uh, Bill Clinton. I don't know what happened to him after that, but <laughs> he did a marvelous job. We won the case. They would not be allowed to play. But I lost the football team. Arkansas became the largest underdog there's ever been in a major bowl before they took it off the game. Three days before the game, maybe four, I had a football team in complete disarray. We had a team meeting. And I said, I know why we can't win. Every day I pick up the paper. I read about the great players from Oklahoma going to play. And in that same paper, I read about the great players from Arkansas that are not going to play. So I know why we can't win. Why don't you tell me why we can? For a while, nobody said anything. And finally, Charles Clay stood up and said, Coach, we have the number one defense in the country, which we did. He said, so we aren't going to get beaten near as bad as everybody thinks. Well, <laughs> wasn't what I wanted, but it was a step in the right direction. <laughs> then they pointed out we had a great competitor, quarterback. We had a great offensive line. We had a great receiver. We had the best punter and place kicker in the country. I wanted them to say they had a great coach. That, that never came up. <laughs> but when they left the room, it was a different team. Why? We focused on why we could do something. Instead of listening to everybody tell us why we can't. Four days later, Arkansas had the ball on Oklahoma's two-yard line with 30 seconds to go in the game. We took a knee so we didn't run the score up as we beat them 31 to 6. Not because of coaching. Because a group of people started looking at why we could do something. Instead of listening to everybody else tell us why we can't. 
So what I always say is just do everything the very best of your ability. That's all God wants. But the last rule is show people you care. You're never again going to meet anybody. Doesn't need a kind word, a smile, an encouragement. My wife is a beautiful person, and she's cystic fibrosis now and on a feeding tube and oxygen some of the time. But her attitude is marvelous. She prays every day. They started a Bible study. And it's great to pray. We're opposites night and day. I, I, my wife said opposites attract and then attack. And she doesn't have much of a sense of humor, but several months ago she left me a note on my chair. It said, Lou, I can't please everybody in the world, so I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to focus on pleasing one person a day. Today's not your day, and tomorrow doesn't look real promising either. <laughs> She's done one interview in her entire life. It has had to do with cancer. And they said to her, Miss Holtz, what did you learn from having cancer? She said, I learned how much my family loved me. We didn't love her anymore. We showed it. Why does somebody have to go through a catastrophe before we let people know how important they are, how much we care? Why do we have to go to a funeral to start praising people? You can find other things to dislike about everybody, but look for reasons. Get to know people. I had a young man in South Carolina the players didn't like. He was our quarterback. They thought he was aloof until I'd had different athletes get up every day and talk about their background. The quarterback got up and said, I was 12 years of age. I loved my father. He taught me how to throw a football and hunt and fish. He said, I was 12 years of age, he came in, kissed me, said he loved me, went in the next room and shot himself, committed suicide. He said, I never want to be close to anybody again. All of a sudden, they reached out, they understand. I had a football player by the name of Kevin Rivers that people could not understand, the players on it. Why are you so patient with Kevin Rivers? Till they heard his story. I knew it, but they didn't. Kevin Rivers lived with his father and his grandfather and his younger brother. He did not... No, his mother. His father was coming home from work, was killed in an accident, car accident. And when they told his grandfather that his son had died, that died, he died immediately of a heart attack. And the same day, he loses his father's grandfather. He's just in charge of his little brother. He became bitter, felt the world was against him. What he needed to do was have somebody reach out in love and say, I'm here for you. Once the players understood that, they reached out to him. Kevin Rivers became a great football player for us and graduated from the University of South Carolina. What I'm saying is get to know people. My wife says, how can you talk about caring about people with a bumper sticker on your car? I got a car over there and I got a bumper sticker on it. She doesn't like it. I'll be at a red light. I look up in the mirror and guys get out of the car, take a picture of my bumper sticker. We go to church every Sunday, 8 o'clock mass. She makes me park in the back of a lot so nobody can see it. The bumper sticker said, Jesus loves you. Everybody else thinks you're an asshole. <laughs> so on the bumper sticker, I think it's funny, but caring about people. If you can build a family, you can build a business, you can build a church, you can build a country where people love one another 
not based on how much wealth they have or where they come from or what they look like or what music they like or what food they like. Just learn to love one another. We won the national championship at Notre Dame. People say, would you write down Lou Holtz, National Champs, 88? And they also write screwed, 89, 90, 93, but not better. But we're at the White House, and we travel by charter plane. That night, we're back in South Bend. I get a call at 12 o'clock at night that Bobby Satterfield had died of a congenital heart defect that evening. He's at the White House the afternoon. He's dead that night. There's one a trace of drugs or alcohol in his body. And I told the school operator, call everybody, tell them I want a team meeting tomorrow. It's 7.30 before classes. I want to tell them about Bobby Centerfield. I walked in, and the players were in a great mood. They thought I was going to resign. Why else would he call a meeting at 7.30? I said, man, last night, Bobby Satterfield died of a congenital heart defect. One player passed out. Almost the entire team wept real tears. If you're in that room, you couldn't tell if Bobby Satterfield was white or black, offense or defense, first team or third team, scholarship or walk-on. You couldn't tell if he was from the East Coast or the West Coast, but you know what you could tell? Those players lost a friend, somebody they loved and cared about. Bobby Satterfield was a black defensive back from Los Angeles, third-team walk-on. He wasn't a great player. I couldn't put on a film and say, what's Bobby Satterfield help us win this game? Although I will say this, every time Bobby Satterfield was in that game, I knew we would win by 30. I was confident. Because <laughs> if we were to hit by 30, he wasn't in the game. I mean. <laughs> but, but they loved him. Not because he could make it great. They loved him because he was part of the family. That's what life's all about. It's caring about people. Those are the only three rules you will ever need. I guarantee you. You do what's right. Do the best you can. Show people you care. Same three rules I have for our children. Because there's three questions everybody asks. The three questions your wife asks. Three questions your children ask your cousin. Question number one, can I trust you? Ladies and gentlemen, without trust, there could be no relationship in this world. Everything's got to be based on trust. Now, how do you make sure that people can always trust you? That's why we had rule number one. Remember, do what's right. You do what's right so that people can trust you. If you have no trust, you cannot have a relationship with each other. That's why it's important to do what's right. The second thing people want to know, are you committed to excellence? Do you want to be good? Oh, you can have all the slogans you want. First we'll be best, then we'll be first. You send a message, you're committed. The last question everybody asks, do you care about me? I leave you, as King Henry Seventh said to his fourth wife, I'm not going to keep you much longer. As I rapidly... <laughs> Wind this down. I'm at the University of South Carolina. We're on 11, been there 18 months. I find out on June 7th at 5 o'clock, two players on the team were arrested for selling drugs that afternoon. Had the whole team in summer school. They ate dinner at 6 o'clock. 
I said, I want a team meeting at 7. I go in that team meeting, I'm mad. You know I'm mad. I've been there 18 months. They didn't trust me to tell me that was going on. Think of the publicity in the paper the next day. Longest losing streak in the country, and now you've got drug problems. I wanted to know why. I want to know why you didn't trust me. Nobody said anything. Everybody has the assigned seats. Freshman in the back, each year you move up. I'm talking to say, why didn't you trust me? I don't care if you like me. Why? They didn't say anything. Finally, Jonathan Martin, a sophomore, got up, I'll never forget. He got up and said, Coach, I trust you. He said, I believe this team trusts you. Looked around the room, said a lot of my teammates I can't trust. You lie, you cheat, you steal, you do drugs, you only care about yourself. And Andre Goodman, a junior defensive back, played 11 years in the NFL, got up, said, I agree with him. He said, I go take a shower. I got to lock my locker. You'll pilfer everything I got. There was no trust. There was no commitment. There was no caring for each other. So I said to the manager, give them all a sheet of paper. I hadn't planned it. I said, I want you to write down everything you've done since I've been here to violate the trust and commitment and the love. It'll be confidential. Two o'clock when classes ended, came into the team meeting, I said, follow me. We went out to the practice field. Now, South Carolina had tradition there. Every time they won a big game on the road, they put a little tombstone. Had the date, the name, the score, the opponent. And it wasn't a very big graveyard. There just a couple of them. <laughs> That morning, we had a tombstone delivered this big blank. We put, dug a hole, put every one of those papers in, burned it, covered it up, put the tombstone. We made a commitment to one another. Never again would we have a teammate we couldn't trust, wasn't committed, and didn't care. Six months later, second greatest turnaround in the history of NCAA football. And that's why those three rules, and I've never needed a fourth rule, and they'll never let you down. And when my children or an athlete violated those three rules, I'd sit down with them and I'd say, Jim, I don't believe you're doing the best you can, and here's why. Got an A in Spanish one, a D in Spanish two, missed class three times, said the all twice, I don't believe that's best you don't want to know why. You never attack the performer, but you have an obligation to attack the performance. If you remember, people need love and understanding the most is usually when they deserve it the least. What you say to somebody is very important. But what you say is not near as important as your tone of voice. Your tone of voice is not near as important as your facial expression. The madder you get, the more you smile, and the softer you speak. But do not lower the standards for millennials. They want to be good, they just don't know how. You've been a delightful audience. I congratulate you on the men of iron and the things you do, and I want to tell you, Ecclesiastes is not very, very easy, but uh, good luck to you on that. And I leave you with this very last thought. Want to be happy for an hour? Eat a steak. Want to be happy for a day? Play golf. Want to be happy for a week? Go on a cruise. And me going on a cruise like being in jail, except you have a chance to drown, but that's what you want to do, so bad. Want to be happy for a month? Buy a new car. Want to be happy for a year? Win the lottery. Want to be happy for a lifetime? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. Be the best choice you made. Thank you for having me.